Christ and hear and think about what he has done. I start counting my blessings one by one. I do not deserve all that he's done for me, but I'll praise him forever it's an amazing thing when we think about the goodness of God in the Christian life. It's not about a $20 bill or a $100 bill. It's not about a nice house or a beautiful car to sit in and drive. Those are all nice things. There's nothing wrong with them. But when you really think about what God's blessings are in our life, it, that's not where they evolve and that's not where they surround center on, okay? And that's something we have to keep in mind. You know, sometimes we look at our lives, and if we're not careful, we think, you know, we, we base God's goodness on our bank accounts. We base it on our, you know, our present status at work or our relationships as they're going presently. And we say, well, God's been good to me or God hasn't been good based on those outward expressions. But the truth is, that's, that really is the least of God's blessings in the believer's life. We sometimes put way too much emphasis on those things. The reality is, is that the things that we cannot see are much more valuable than the things that we do see. 
And when we think about God's blessings in our lives, there are so many of them. With or without health, the reality is, is we are still blessed. With or without money, we are still blessed. With or without family, we are still blessed. We have to keep this in mind because we can lose sight of that in the world we live because there's such an emphasis on the material. There's such an emphasis on things that we lose sight of the reality that Christ's goodness far exceeds that of this world. And so we thank the Lord for our eternal salvation. We thank the Lord for a spirit that indwells us. We're grateful to God for the goodness that he gives us, the comfort that we receive from him in the midst of turmoil and trouble. And uh, those are the things that we need to keep in mind often that sometimes, uh, well, the world, the devil, and the flesh have a tendency to cause us to kind of focus on, and we have to be careful. All right, well, we're talking about the future. We've been dealing with the Jews, and we've talked about their past. We've talked about their present. Now I want to talk to you a little bit about their future. And um, last week, of course, we entertained and answered a very important question. We said, have the Jews been replaced as a nation by the Gentiles and as God's people by the church? And in Hosea chapter 3, verse 4, we read, The children of Israel shall abide many days without a king and without a prince and without a sacrifice and without an image and without an ephod ephod, and without teraphim. Well, we noted that the passage doesn't say forever, but instead many days. And so the Bible, again, is pointing out the fact that Jerusalem must be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And so basically the Apostle Paul is making it very clear that God is not done with Israel yet. And in Romans chapter 11 verse 25, we've read, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so God, again, through the person of, uh, uh, through the Holy Spirit guiding and directing the Apostle Paul, He says, now listen, I want you to be very clear on this point that blindness in part has happened to Israel, but it's only for a time. It's only for a period of time. And so God is not done with Israel yet. And so the question arises, what do we know of Israel's future according to the Bible then? Well, tonight we're going to address some of those issues and we'll see how far we get along. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer tonight. Father, we love you. We ask that you'd bless this time together in your word. We understand, Father, that life springs forth from these pages. That, Father, that is truly what we need today is your life-giving force, the Holy Spirit and the word of God. Father, just help us now today. Lord, the world will suck the life out of us. But, Father, you breathe it into us every time we open your word and we get into your presence. Father, fill us now, and may we, Father, truly please you as we listen, and may we honor you in the way we do and how we respond. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So, you know, what do we know of Israel's future according to the Bible? Well, number one, they will experience a future restoration. They're going to, in the future, experience a future restoration. Now, We saw a restoration following the Babylonian captivity. You know, um, there's no doubt that a group of people left Babylon and 
ultimately made their way to Jerusalem where again the temple was rebuilt and the walls were reconstructed. We understand that worship again began. We understand that. But is that the extent of their restoration? Turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 11. I want you to notice a passage in the Scriptures that reminds us that God, again, is not finished with them and that there is still a future restoration that the Jewish people and Israel can look forward to. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 11. The Bible says, and it shall come to pass in that day. Again, when you hear that phrase, that day, your mind should automatically go to the future. That day, meaning the day of the Lord. And so he says here in the passage, and it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand upon, excuse me, set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. Notice it says here, it points out to us that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people. The second time. We know they came out of Babylon. We understand that. We understand that they were in captivity and all of that makes sense to us. We can read the scriptures. We can relate to that. But, you know, when we start considering the second time, well, the second time hasn't taken place yet. So it has to take place in the future. And the future is identified as that day or the day of the Lord. Or if you would, the time of the tribulation right on into the millennial time frame. And again, a day is as a thousand years to the Lord, and so that day refers to the millennium. So we see that they're going to experience a future restoration, but not only that, they're going to experience a total restoration. Now again, one of the things that we struggle with and some have debated is to whether or not all 12 tribes came out of the Babylonian captivity. Um, We see in Ezekiel chapter 37... And we talked about this last week a little bit, but we saw a vision. And that vision had to do with some dry bones. We read about a prophet who was commanded to preach to the valley of dry bones. He preaches and they come together and their flesh comes upon them and the spirit breathes life into them. We saw the explanation of that in chapter 37 verses 11 through 14 when the Lord reveals that these bones were the revived, uh, represent the, 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 the whole house of Israel being restored and brought back into the land. And then we continued and realized that there was an illustration that God gives us in that same chapter, verses 15 through 28. And we noted that the prophet, prophet was instructed to take a stick in his hand that represented Judah and Take another stick in his hand that represented Israel, if you will, the two, the the divided kingdom. And he was to place the two sticks in one hand, representing the whole house of Israel. And the fact that they would once again be reunited. And that's exactly what the Bible tells us. Look at Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 21. Ezekiel 37, 21. We're going to read verses 21 and 22. 
So we're going to see is what it appears is that both the ten tribes as well as the two are going to be united at one point and become one again. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 21. He says, And say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whither they be gone, and will gather them on every side, and bring them into their own land, and I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king to them all, and they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. So we, we know that there were two distinct and different captivities. One, of course, was Israel, or those ten tribes. We've talked about that before. Jeroboam, of course, steps in and ten tribes go with him. We call them the northern kingdom. And in 721 B.C., the Assyrians placed them in captivity. And then a little over 100 years later, the southern tribes, they go into Babylonian captivity, or Judah, if you will, goes into captivity, and they are now 70 years in captivity. Once that captivity ends, we see them returning back to Jerusalem, but a remnant returns. Now, some have suggested that as I said, all ten tribes were represented by those that returned out of Babylonian captivity. Their premise is that because Babylon was a world empire, that the Assyrian empire had been swallowed up by Babylon. Therefore, when the Jews came forth out of Babylon back to Jerusalem, everyone had an opportunity to come back. Now, even if that was the case, it's clear that most never did return. And even those that did return were dispersed following the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. And if that wasn't enough, in 135 A.D., it all happened all over again. And so Israel was dispersed throughout all the world. And that's where we found Israel for centuries, around the world and all the nations of the earth. If you want to find something that you've lost, you go to where you lost it. You know, and the house of Israel is most likely still in Assyria and in need of being gathered out. And you know, you say, well, we understand that on May the 14th, 1948, Israel was established as a state again. After all those years, they're finally back in their land. Who's they? I mean, I believe that the process has begun, but I don't believe it's complete until the day of the Lord. They're still finding their way back to their homeland. They're still finding their way back to Jerusalem. The gathering appears to have begun, but again, I believe it'll continue all the way into the tribulation and ultimately the millennium. They're going to, you're going to see that by the time they get to that tribulation, as a nation, they're going to go through it. Now, we talked about already, we've touched on this idea, they'll experience a future restoration, they'll experience a total restoration, but 
Number three, all Israel will be assembled and come together. At some point, they will all be assembled and come together. Again, turn to Luke chapter 21, 24, a very pivotal and important verse in the scriptures. Talks about, again, you've heard it a bunch of times over the last month and a half, the times of the Gentiles. Again, notice what it says about this. Again, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And that has been the plight of all Israelites, all the Jews. From the moment that they said, His blood be upon us and our children, it's been on. And he goes on to say, And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. The times of the Gentiles must be fulfilled. What that means is that ultimately the return of Christ in Revelation chapter 19 must come to pass. Because it is then that Gentile domination will cease and Israel will once again be elevated above all nations. And so that brings us to a tribulation period now. Let's talk about the tribulation as we view and consider the future of the Jewish people and Israel. During that tribulation period, they will be unconverted. Unconverted. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Romans eleven twenty-five. We've already read the verse. But notice again it says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. They're going to be blinded until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. Now again, during the tribulation... The gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached and God's witnesses are going to go throughout the world warning folks to repent and to prepare for the return or the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn, if you would, to Revelation chapter 7. We're going to see these 144,000 witnesses. These witnesses are Jewish young men. Is what we believe it to be. That we know that they're Jewish because they're of the 12 tribes. Some may debate and may say that, well, that's just symbolic again. But I don't believe it's symbolic. I believe you take the Bible literal till you can't take it literal. And I believe this is literal. Chapter 7 of the book of Revelation introduces us to 144,000 witnesses And they are not Jehovah's Witnesses as we understand Jehovah's Witnesses today, but they are indeed Jehovah's Witnesses. Not the kind that go around knocking on doors today. But they are indeed God's Witnesses. Notice what the Bible says here. It says in chapter 7, verse 4, And I heard the number of them which were sealed, that they were sealed a... And there were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. 
Now, I don't know about you, but you'd have to change the Bible or make it metaphorical in order to discount what you just read. To say that, this, that God is not dealing with the, the Jew or Israel again in the tribulation or after we've been taken out would be ludicrous unless you can make this metaphorical, unless you can make it symbolic. Well, every group on earth, every Christian, so-called Christian group or every religious group that wants to claim to be either part of the 144,000 or to be put in the place of the Jew and Israel today to have taken their place has to make it symbolic. They have to make it metaphorical. They have to say that it's representative of something, that it's not talking about literal Jews, it's talking about somebody that represents them. And we represent them now. Because God's finished with Israel, therefore he has chosen us instead. And I mean, that is even something that we're seeing today in Christianity, and I'm talking about churches like ours who have started to believe somehow that they have replaced Israel. And when you get into churches that begin to teach that you've replaced Israel, what you get into is Calvinism normally. Pretty soon they're saying things like, we've been chosen of God, and that it's not whosoever will, it's those that are chosen by God, and we are chosen. Well, we are chosen. There's no doubt, we'll not argue that fact. However, the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What do you do with those verses? Well, they don't, they don't apply the way they would have if Israel, no, they still apply just like they are supposed to. You get into all kind of doctrinal problems when you start twisting the Bible or resting the scriptures, as he says in Peter. It is literal. This book is literal. Even Revelation is literal. There are things that are symbolic, but God makes sure he tells us what those are. Now notice what he says again. These sealed are 144,000 of the tribes of the children of Israel. That's pretty plain if you ask me. That's not a bunch of people running around today claiming that they are spiritual Jews and that they're part of the 144,000. And sadly enough, they've already exceeded the 144,000, so you're not going to get to go to heaven even if you are part of the witnesses. You get to live on earth. Makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. Now listen, you and I are just as prone to false doctrine as anybody else. It is extremely imperative and important that we take the time to know the scriptures so that we are not deceived as so many others are. The moment we think that we're above that kind of thing, we are sitting right in the midst of it probably. Well, I'll just believe whatever the pastor says. Well, you better make sure your pastor's preaching truth then, because if you're going to believe whatever he says, he better be on target or you won't be. 
man, I'm not going to trust my soul to just some guy telling me what to believe. I want to know that it's in the Word of God. I want to make sure that what he's saying aligns with the Scriptures. Oh, there we may have some minor little things we don't necessarily agree on, like did Adam have a belly button or not? But let me tell you something. You better know that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again the third day, my friend. You better know that blood is efficable to all. You better believe that it's enough, it's sufficient. Boy, I'll tell you, you've got to be careful here. But here in this passage in verse 5 of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000. I wonder how many of the tribe of Judah will be sealed during the tribulation period and go about preaching the truth. Hmm, 12,000 I think. Of the tribe, you say 12,001? No, I believe 12,000. You say 11,999? No, I believe 12,000. Because the Bible says so. Well, I don't think you can take it that literal. Oh, then maybe you won't get to heaven then. Well, what part do you decide? What part do we get to decide is literal or not? What part do we get to decide is a little bit excessive? Well, it's not that important. I mean, every imagination of the heart was evil in the days of Noah. Was it every thought? If the Bible says so, I believe it. Outside of his man. I'm going to be frank with you. I'm not convinced his boys were all that good either, nor his daughter-in-laws, or even his wife necessarily. What I do know is that he was. That's the only thing the Bible tells me. I can't be sure about everybody or anybody else. You say it had to have somebody helping him. Maybe they were helping him, but I know some kids that don't agree with mom and dad that still go do what they're told. I don't know. I'm just telling you what I know for sure is what God's Word tells me. Outside of that, it's mere speculation. Now, we can assume some things sometimes, but be careful when you assume things. That doesn't always make your assumption correct. Just because it seems to make sense doesn't mean it always does, at least not to God. I'm not trying to get you to doubt what you believe unless what you believe isn't rooted in Scripture. If it's rooted in Scripture, then you don't have any problem with questioning or someone asking. I believe that where we run into problems today is when we start getting asked questions and we have no idea why we believe what we believe. We just know what we've been taught. And then they say, but why? And you say, well, because. Because why? Because, well, I grew up that way. Okay, that's good. Glad you grew up that way. When did you become a man or a woman? Well, a number of years ago. Then why didn't you figure it out for yourself? There's a lot of other decisions you've made, and I'm sure you've even told your parents at some point, hey, I'm an adult now. I think I'm old enough to make some decisions. Well, you're old enough to study that book and figure out what you believe then. Some of you teenagers run around, nobody ever taught me about standards. Nobody ever told me what the Bible says. You're lazy. Get in that book and figure it out. Quit waiting for somebody else to spoon feed you every answer. And even when they do, you don't want to hear the truth. So it's like, I I just didn't believe it. I don't know. I don't know what I believe, so I'll just go off the deep end. Hey, when you don't know what to do, guess what? Good piece of advice, do nothing. We're all about, well, I don't understand what right is, so I'll just do whatever I want until God reveals it. 
Well, that's good. In the meantime, you've wrecked your life. In the meantime, you've gone the wrong direction. In the meantime, you've given Satan a stronghold in your life. Don't do that. Do nothing. Just keep praying and seeking God and study the Scriptures until you know what the truth is. Till you can prove your position from the Bible, not discount someone else's. Preacher, you're awesome today. We love it. Just love it. <laughs> I'm not even supposed to be talking about this tonight. But those 144 got me going. Thousand, that is, not 144. Verse 6, i got to watch it. I've been inconsistent. But of the tribe of Aser, Aser, <laughs> we're still 12,000. Of the tribe of Nephilim, we're sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manassas, we're sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon, we're sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi, we're sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar, we're sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulun, we're sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph, we're sealed 12,000. And of the tribe of, this is an easy one, Benjamin. We're sealed 12,000. You add those up, you know what they come up to? You got it. Can I tell you, 12,000 from each tribe, just like the Bible said. Now, they're going to be out there preaching it, proclaiming, hey, you better get right with God. You better repent because Jesus is coming. The Lord's coming back. Oh, I don't believe that. I mean, more important than getting ready for his return, I think I need some grub on the table. More important than getting ready for his return, I think I need to be more worried about my family having food to eat and clothes on their back and a place to live. Man, if you don't take that mark, my friend, you know how miserable it's going to be. And so I don't think God would want my family to be miserable, and I don't think he'd want us to suffer in any way. So you know what? We'll just take that mark. I know he's supposed to be coming back, but I'm not really sold. And furthermore, I just can't pay that price. And you know where you'll end up and where your family will go? And here we are today in the dispensation of grace, having every benefit of grace, and we still won't sacrifice to the Lord. In that day, you'll actually have to be willing to die. In that day, you'll have to be willing to let your children die. That don't seem fair to me. Who cares what you think? God doesn't seem to care. And you know what? We have to get where we understand that God doesn't have to care about how we feel all the time. We got to come to the place where we finally say, you know what, God? You're allowed to do whatever you want, and you're always right in it, whether I agree or not. And until we get there, you know what will reign in our lives? A big word called discontentment. Discontentment will cause you running from God. It'll cause you to run from God because you don't like what he's pulling on you. And you know what? It happens to all of us if we're not careful. There's preachers falling left and right in the world. We understand that. But what about all the people? Are people falling too? Yes. You know why? Because we're all human. We're all flesh. And you know what? The devil's always working on you. And if you got any potential for God, guess who he's really going to fight? You. Because you pose a real threat if you get it all in motion. Man, he's after you. Multitudes. Look at... 
verses 9 through 10 now, that multitudes will be saved during that time. Watch what happens here. And we're, we're going to probably end up having to close down through here real quick. But notice what it says, verses 9 through 10. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues. You know, that's interesting, isn't it? I don't know about you, but when I read that, you know what's my mind, where my mind snaps to? It snaps over there to Nebuchadnezzar building that big old statue, 90 feet tall, and saying, you will bow down to the statue when the music plays? All kindred, all nations, all tongues, when you hear the music, you bow. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as we call them, said, uh-uh, we won't bow. Interestingly enough, during the tribulation period, there's going to be a great multitude, which no man can number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues. I love that. Every time the devil thinks he's going to win, he loses in the end. Hey, he might win for a while, and it may seem that he's on a real winning streak, but he loses. And he goes on to say, and this great number of all nations, kindreds, and people, and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. I hope they're not allergic. Verse 14. Did you, you, you didn't catch it. Some of you didn't get that, did you? You know, around today, everybody's allergic to everything. But anyway, okay, moving on. Verse 14. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest, meaning... Who are these, right? He's asking the question. Thou knowest, and he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Man, there's going to be a multitude saved during the tribulation period. I mean, multitudes. Now, we have to be very careful now because the implication in our mind might be, Oh, that means all these Jews are going to get getting saved. Well, there might be a score and a number of Jews that do. But can I tell you that even though multitudes are going to be saved during the tribulation period, as a nation, they will still reject Christ. I'm not talking, listen, by the way, you know where these people are right now in this passage? They're not on the earth when he asked the question. They're already dead. These people are dead already. They've given their life. They believed the message of the 144,000. And they lost their lives because they would not take the mark. Do you know who these multitudes are? Do you know who all these people are? Yeah. Yeah. They're those that believed and were willing to give their life. But the nation of Israel will not, at that point, be saved. It won't happen. As a matter of fact, what we're going to learn as we move along in our study is that they're going to be judged during that time. So, as we pick up in the next weeks, and it won't be next Tuesday probably. I'll probably throw something in there because next Tuesday is our service. Remember that. Don't forget. 
Because today's Wednesday. That's when we normally meet. But next Tuesday, we're going to be meeting because it's Thanksgiving week. Can you imagine with me already? Can you wrap your mind around the fact that it's already Thanksgiving? I, I can't. I can't even, I mean, I can't even figure it out. Tomorrow will be one week away from Thanksgiving. And we're right into the Christmas season. And then we're into 2022. It's hard to remember those things. They're moving so fast these days. How many of you thought, I'll never be around after the year? Uh, 2020, 2021, 22, forget it. I'll never be around. How many of you ever you thought that? By then, I'd be dead for sure. Heck yeah. I never thought I'd live to be that old. I used to say, man, 2023 would make me 60. Man, I'll be an old man. <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting close. It's crazy, isn't it? Fortunately, I'm in a tremendous health and shape. <sighs> yeah, I feel it every day. Let me tell you what, as we close tonight, let's take our Bibles literally. Let's really realize and recognize how essential and important it is that we believe it as it is stated and written. Man, the world is out there trying to undermine the authority of the Word of God in our life. Not just undermine the authority, but the devil's out there trying to get us to discount it or to Consider it less valuable than it is. Man, I'll tell you what. <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but how easy is it, really? It's so easy for me. How easy is it on your phone to click on Yahoo News or some news feed and just go right through all the news feed that's taking place every day? And you read a portion of this article, you read a portion of that article, you check this out, you check that out. Oh, you snap over to a video about what's going on with some this or something of that. And next thing you know, you look at your watch and you've spent 20, 30 minutes. Just like that. Just, I mean, just like that. And let's be honest. We get in our private time with the Lord. And we open our Bibles up and we're like, man, it's so hard to concentrate after three minutes. You know what I'm talking about, right? Ten minutes later, we're like, dude, I must have been reading for a half hour. Well, it's only been ten minutes. Get on our knees to pray. Lord, oh, God. It's been seven and a half minutes. Wow. Man, it seemed like a lifetime down there. What's wrong? Why aren't we equally excited and motivated to put our eyes on this and our eyes on that? Could it be, I'm just saying, could it possibly be this? That we honestly are not as spiritual as we want to believe ourselves to be. Could we be walking more in the flesh than the spirit than we think. Could we be walking more by sight than we are by the spirit? I'm just asking the questions because I think that it begs the question. 
Why is it that we struggle with this so much? But we have no problem with this or with this. I think it's something we as believers, especially our group tonight, the Wednesday night cream of the crop, those that are here because you love the Lord, right? And you do, I believe that. And I'm here because I, I want to I be better for the Lord. I want to believe even more than ever. I want to be more faithful than ever. I want to grow in my faith just like you do. Let's think about those things. Let's meditate on Scripture more now. Let's do our best to memorize it more. Just do our best. You do your best. I've always said the Lord will take care of the rest. Father, we love you. Thank you for your...